Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Missouri's 2nd Congressional District has been in Republican hands since 1993. But Democrat Court Van Ostrom believes 2018 is the year where Democrats emerge victorious. The Clayton attorney joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about his campaign against Congresswoman Ann Wagner and what it's going to take to turn the 2nd Congressional District blue. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manish. Elections should be about your accomplishments. What have you done to qualify you for the position and why are you qualified to run? I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in St. Louis today, returning from her two-week absence. Yes, from my vacation, but it was a staycation. Long story. Uh, this is Joe Manis, his colleague at St. Louis Public Radio. And our very special guest, the Democratic nominee in Missouri's beautiful 2nd Congressional District. Uh, this is Court Van Ostrin, longtime listener, first-time caller. I'm very happy to uh, to be on the show. I always wonder, Jason, if I'm a nominee. We've gone back and forth about that. There's no real nomination process. But in any case, I am very Democratic happy to Democratic candidate. Be, yeah. The Democratic challenger in the second No, no, no. no. Well, he's district. the nominee because the voters nominated you. Nominate by, they, by yeah, The voters the made a decision. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you're it. Well, I will take I will take the title in any case, but I'm very happy to be the Democrat running for U.S. Congress in the second congressional district we're, of Missouri. We're thrilled to have you today. And we're going to talk about how this contest is receiving a lot more attention, both nationally and locally than in years past. But as we do with all of our first time guests, we want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself from reading your bio and from interviewing you before it's kind of an unconventional road to politics in, in many respects. And, and before we get into this, we need to say that you are challenging the Republican incumbent who's been there a while, Ann Wagner, who's a major force in Republican politics in the state and nationally. Just to set Just that a backdrop, there. and I'm sure we're going to hear more about your opinions about Congresswoman Wagner in a minute. But first, who is Court Van Ostrin? Sure. So um, I am a lifelong Missourian. I was born and raised down in southwest Missouri. Um, you know, as I sort of tell the story of, of uh, my life, I talk about uh, losing my father at a young age. That for me was kind of the defining event in my life. When I was eight years old, uh, my father took his own life. Um, as we were recording this, yesterday was, uh, I believe, uh, National Suicide uh, Prevention Day. So uh, it's a good day to, to mention that that's how I lost my dad and to talk about, uh, I think, the importance of talking about those things and the stigma that's so often attached to that. Um, but losing my father in that way, um, you know, I watched my mother, who was an incredible woman uh, early on, sort of rededicate herself um, to me and my younger brother and sister and to making sure that we had the things we needed to sort of climb the ladder to the middle class. And we were very lucky to have those things. I went to uh, great public schools uh, in Joplin, Missouri. I was able to go to Harvard University on a scholarship from the Elks Organization 
But I always care deeply about policy and about paying forward uh, the things that allowed me to chase my dreams. Um, I knew that I wanted to come back to Missouri uh, after being on the East Coast uh, for college. I did that. I went to Washington University School of Law. I earned my law degree there. Um, I practiced briefly uh, with a large firm. Then I clerked for a couple of federal judges uh, here in the Eastern District of Missouri. Um, I practice law at a small firm now. And for the last couple of years, I also had a, uh, an academic appointment at Washington University School of Law. I was a visiting lecturer there. Um, but that uh, is sort of my, my biography uh, up to the point that I decided to run for the United States Congress. And throughout this all, because again, I was reading your biography before we start press record on this, you did kind of intern and learn from a number of, of notable politicians, including Claire McCaskill and I guess uh, Senator Jolie Justice as well? I did. I um, uh, interned in Senator McCaskill's office, and I also uh, interned as a legal intern uh, for State Senator Jolie Justice when she was the minority leader in the Missouri State Senate. Yeah, and State Senator Justice is based on the other side of the state. Is, exactly now, right. is now a councilwoman and a friend of the show. So how did you get to the point where you decided you wanted to run for Congress? I think you're 29, 30 years old. Are you 30 years old yet? I am 29 years old for three more days. Jason, oh, my, my God. September 14th. So well, this yeah. show will be posted before you're 30. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times 29-year-old uh, first-time candidates, they run for the state legislature. Uh, why Congress and why the 2nd Congressional District? You know, um, although I was someone who always cared about policy, had uh, done some some internships and some work for um, a number of policymakers, um, you know, the decision to run for this seat was really um, based on um, what happened in the last couple of years, not only in the country, but also uh, in my personal life. I lost the mom uh, who raised me to breast cancer a couple of years ago um, at the end of, of uh, 2016. And for the last couple of years of her life, my mom had a, a plan that she purchased through the ACA exchange. Um, and now you're talking about health, health, uh, health insurance. I'm talking about a health insurance plan that she purchased through the ACA exchange. It was a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan. Um, and so, you know, I mean, there are so many issues that I care deeply about. But for me, the issue of health care was particularly personal. And certainly uh, running for um, office, uh, running for Congress was something that I had thought about. But um, about a year ago, uh, a little more than a year ago, when I watched Ann Wagner vote with other Republicans in Congress to cut 23 million people, like my mom, off of their health care coverage, um, that vote felt very personal. I mean, it felt like a vote against my family, and it felt like a vote against my mom. And so uh, that was really the moment that cemented uh, my decision to run for the United States Congress. I think we are at a time in this country where there's so much division, so much partisanship, and we need uh, leadership. And I think it's time for a new generation of people to stand up uh, and to uh, offer a better path forward. I believe that Congresswoman Wagner represents in many ways the worst of Washington and uh, the worst of partisan, bitter, um, negative politics. And I'm excited to be running in this year where I think we're offering something much more positive. Yeah, well, I, I just want to give our listeners a little bit of a context about the 2nd Congressional District. Uh, it's been represented by uh, Republicans for a considerable amount of time. Since 1993. Uh, yes, and although the boundaries have changed at various times. I want to make that clear. So, but it used to be Todd Aiken before it was um, Ann, Ann Wagner. Now, it's become a little more of a swing district, but not much over the last, uh, from the last redistricting a few years ago. Uh, 
then Congressman uh, Russ Carnahan considered running for the second when he was thrown into the first, but he didn't do it. The, the point I'm getting at is because in part because he thought it was too re- Republican. Ann Wagner did not run any TV ads in 2014 or 2016. She already is running ads now. So obviously she's at least a little concerned about you. As a rule, most of the Republicans, I mean, most of the Democratic uh, contenders in the second have been not most of them, not all of them, but many of them have not been well known or have not gotten national funding. You are in a different class. Um, you are getting some national support. You um, have attracted some national attention, as have you know one or two of the other contenders in the primary, which is now over. My point being is that the second district, it's it's being treated a bit different now, and as a result, uh, I think Wagner, who is a smart woman, um, is treating this contest different too. So how do you? I mean, how do you see it? I mean, how do you see your chances? And what do you see as the top? You mentioned health care. Is, is that your top issue or are there other things as well? Well, health care is absolutely my top issue. Um, but, you know, there uh, and look, it's my top issue, Joe, because I think it either directly affects or, uh, you know, everyone in our district or affects someone that they know or love. People uh, either don't have access to good ha- health care or they are worried that their plans could be changed or stripped from them or uh, they could no longer be able to access it because of pre-existing conditions. So this is something that is top on the mind of voters in the 2nd Congressional District. It's top on the mind of people who come to my town halls, whom I hear from from uh, every day when I'm out talking to people in the district. Um, And it's an issue that our congresswoman has offered no path forward on. But certainly there are a number of things uh, that I care deeply about, and uh, I'm excited to to delve into those as as we continue the conversation. Um, To answer your question about the district, though, you know, I think that um, you're exactly right. I mean, this is a district that when Missouri lost a congressional seat uh, after the 2010 census, um, essentially pieces of Congressman Carnahan's then district, which was, uh, you know, combined with um, what was then Todd Aiken's district, uh, were sort of pushed together to create a new second district in Missouri. Um, you know, this is a district that although Congresswoman Wagner has not had um, uh, particularly close elections, uh, voted for Claire McCaskill in 2012. The second district went to Claire McCaskill. Jason Kander lost this district by an incredibly narrow margin in what was obviously a tough year for Democrats in 2016. Um, so, you know, this is a, a district of folks who are, are educated, are independent-minded. Um, I think these are folks who uh, really desire leadership, and they're folks who are paying close attention to what's happening. And so I think that's why in this year, Uh, when there is so much to, frankly, be embarrassed about that is coming out of Washington every day, that people um, seem particularly ready for a change. And I think um, we are offering uh, a a great alternative to business as usual in Washington. Do you want to explain to our listeners really quickly the boundaries of the second? Absolutely, yeah. Um, Kind of an important point. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So the district is more or less the way I think of it is all of South and West County. Hanley Road, for the most part, is the eastern boundary of the district. Um, The line sort of cuts through Creve Corps and Olivet. We take in uh, virtually no no part of North County. We have a little slice of St. Charles and uh, a little slice of Jefferson County, the city of Arnold. Let's talk about health care a little bit more. I want to, you obviously mentioned it's an important issue. 
Um, it's an important issue for a lot of people. It's an important issue for everyone. But I think that if you, we talk to Congresswoman Wagner about the Affordable Care Act, she'll point to a number of deficiencies that have come to bear, including the fact that premiums have gone up. And I haven't talked with her about this, but I've heard other Republicans say it may be more efficient for individual states to mandate things like pre-existing conditions as, as opposed to the federal government. Beyond just responding to those points, I also want you to lay out how you would make the Affordable Care Act better, because I think that even Democrats agree, even like McCaskill would say that there needs to be some improvement there. So I'd like to give you this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the ACA um, is a perfect piece of legislation. And there are a lot of things, frankly, that we can do um, to make the ACA better. Uh, there are a lot of things that we can do to make our healthcare system in general uh, much stronger than it is. But um, what we've seen from the Republicans in Congress uh, is not a desire to improve the ACA. They've taken every opportunity uh, to gut the protections that it does provide. They have voted to eliminate some of the subsidies, which is one of the reasons the That's exactly right. And then, of course, by uh, gutting the individual mandate uh, as a part of the tax bill that was passed, that seriously weakens uh, the ACA and makes it very hard um, for it to sort of continue as it was intended. So not a perfect law by any means. Um, and there's a lot of work to do around the edges to make the ACA stronger. But we need folks who are dedicated to actual solutions uh, and are not trying to, as a matter of ideology, undermine uh, the intent of the law, which is to make sure that more people have access to quality health care. I mean, this is a congresswoman um, who, you know, now has, I believe, tried to change her position. But she voted for the AHCA, which would have put no upper limit on what uh, insurance companies can charge people who Explain have Explain what the AHCA stands Sure, Joe. For. Yeah. So the AHCA was the Republican health care bill uh, that Ann Wagner voted on um, in, I believe, May of last year that would have essentially gutted and, and rolled back the ACA. Um, and, you know, what it would have allowed insurance companies to do is to charge two times, five times, ten times the amount for people with pre-existing conditions. Obviously, it would have had the effect of taking away the ability of people with pre-existing conditions to access coverage. Uh, Ann Wagner voted for that bill. And so this is a congresswoman who um, doesn't care about protecting coverage for people with pre-existing conditions, which would have an incredible impact on people in our district. Um, you know, that has to uh, be the driving value um, of reforms to our healthcare system. We have to make sure that people can continue to access care even if they have pre-existing conditions. Now, how tightly are you campaigning, let's say, with McCaskill or other Democrats in the state? I mean, because the second district is seen in some ways as, I mean, aside from the issues, there also is the political component. I mean, if voter turnout is driven up on both sides, it could have an impact statewide in other races. Well, look, I am, um, you know, very happy to be uh, running on a ticket with Senator McCaskill. Uh, I got my start in politics knocking on doors uh, for the senator's uh, first race for the Senate back in 2006. Um, we are part of the uh, Missouri coordinated campaign. So, um, you know, certainly there are some joint efforts uh, between my campaign and Senator McCaskill's. Um, and, you know, we want to run uh, an incredibly robust campaign in the second. And, and we hope that that um, is helpful to people up and down the ballot. Uh, going back to health care for a minute, I know that there was some back and forth in the primary about your opinion about Medicare for all, which is kind of the catch-all for having uh, – Joe, can you kind of explain yeah, what that ba is? Yeah, basically what it, what it would do. I mean, Medicare is for people 65 and over. I'm, I'm on it. Uh, but 
Medicare for All would basically allow anybody to buy into it. I mean, I'm, I'm simplifying it, and there's various aspects of it, but that's the bottom line. It's been a big issue in your party, and there's been some people that like it and some people that don't. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this because it's very possible the Democrats could take over control of both houses, and this becomes less philosophical and more of an actual plan. So what, what's your take on that? I think that having a Medicare system um, that anyone is able to buy into is a good goal. Uh, most people are very happy with Medicare. Uh, I think it's probably um, the most efficient, effective uh, health insurance company, so to speak, in the country. Um, so I think it's a good goal. I think it's very unlikely that we will get there while there is a Republican president in the White House, regardless of who's yes. in control of Congress. So um, it's a good goal, but I am committed to doing things uh, in the shorter term that will shore up people's access to coverage. Um, things like incentivizing states like Missouri to expand their Medicaid programs. We're one of the last states that hasn't uh, expanded Medicaid. And because of that, we are sending tax dollars to other states, our tax dollars to other states uh, every single day. So I think there are um, other fixes that are uh, more politically attainable in the short term. I think Medicare for all is a good goal in the long term. Now, where, I mean, I know that you have made a pledge as far as no corporate money, correct? Uh, that's right, no corporate PAC money. Okay, so how do you get enough to run a campaign against Wagner, who has a very fat uh, war chest, and it, it is known as a legendary uh, money raiser, in order to get your message out? Well, I think it's really important um, to talk about why I made that decision not to take corporate PAC contributions. Um, you know, one of the, the real uh, criticisms, frankly, that I have of Congresswoman Wagner is her failure to show up for people in this district. Uh, this is a congresswoman who has been uh, in Washington for six years, has never held a public town hall in the district that's open to her constituents. Senator McCaskill held 50 last year alone. Ann Wagner has never held a single public town hall. Um, she is not accessible. She doesn't keep a public schedule. She's not available to her constituents. Um, you know, I think that as a result of that, she's not hearing what I am when I'm out talking to voters every single day. Um, instead, she has uh, lended her ear uh, to the folks that are underwriting her campaign and to a, a really remarkable degree. That is corporate special interests, uh, lobbyists. This is a congresswoman who takes less than 1% of her contributions from small grassroots donors. Um, so, you know, I have made the decision not to take corporate PAC money because I want to be a representative uh, that is showing up and representing real people here in the second district of Missouri. I think that that is uh, what public service is all about. Um, and so uh, you're exactly right, Joe. It does make it harder um, to fund a campaign that has the ability to take on a congresswoman who started this race with millions of dollars in the bank. But I am incredibly proud that um, even as we've committed not to take corporate PAC money, we've outraised the congresswoman for most of this election. We've outraised her in three of four quarters. Now, because of that incredibly healthy lead that she started this race with, um, she uh, still has a huge cash on hand advantage against us. I mean, we have no illusions. This will be a David against Goliath race uh, because of her support from lobbyists and corporate special interests. But um, I think it is so important to be able to make sure that people in this district feel like they have a voice to be committed to representing those people and to uh, to earn support uh, for the most part from small donors, grassroots donors, from real people in the district um, instead of corporate special interests. Veering this back into kind of an issue that's been 
what we talked with Brendan Kelly about. Um, I think even candidates like yourself that say, I'm not going to take corporate PAC money are often at the mercy of major third party party groups like the DCCC, which take a lot of PAC money. It's kind of the conventional wisdom that if a group like the DCCC doesn't spend money on behalf of a candidate, then they're at a major disadvantage. And, you know, there's also outside third party groups that have exploded since Citizens United as well. So beyond just navigating that tricky needle, like I would like you to get your, your, your sense of like, how do you change this system? Because I'm, I talked with a, a uh, Benjamin Lippman today, who's of Lewis Wright, who I think you know pretty well. And he pretty much said that restricting the action of PACs is extremely difficult without running afoul of the First Amendment, especially with the conservative judiciary. So I know that's kind of a jumbled observation slash question, but I know it's an important issue for you. So I want you to kind of elaborate on how do you change this reality? Yeah, I mean, it's an extremely important issue. I, I think, you know, we can't have this conversation without talking about the Citizens United decision um, of a few years ago, which I believe was one of the uh, most activist, uh, most problematic uh, Supreme Court decisions in modern history. Um, you know, that was the decision uh, that said corporations are people and uh, the First Amendment gives them the right to spend um, unlimited amounts of money uh, if they funnel it through the proper uh, legal instruments. Um, you know, and look, it's going to be an issue in this campaign. Um, I expect that Congresswoman Wagner will have third party groups spending on her behalf uh, in this race. Um, there may be third party groups that spend on our behalf in this race. I think that uh, all of it, frankly, is detrimental uh, to the process. And um, I really believe in reform. Uh, I'm in favor of what Cong of doing what Congress can do, things like the Disclose Act uh, that would require um, some of these uh, PACs to disclose uh, where their contributions are coming from. It would help us uh, identify where the money's coming from, where some of the foreign money is coming from, and I think it would be a good first step to getting some of that money out of politics. But in terms of Citizens United, you know, that is a Supreme Court precedent that is based on an interpretation of the First Amendment. So that will ultimately take a constitutional amendment uh, or a decision from the Supreme Court to reverse. So we have to begin the process of getting big money, dark money out of our political system. It is so important that we do that to make sure that real people in the second district have a voice. And as I'm out talking to voters every day at, at town halls, at listening sessions, um, you know, these are the people who are losing their voice. I mean, I, th I think of the young veteran who told me her story uh, about coming back from uh, Iraq, developing PTSD, not being able to get the help she needed at the VA. You know, there are constituents in this district with real needs, but their needs are not being heard by the people that are representing them in Washington because they're being drowned out by the influence of corporate money on our system. And I think it has to change. It is um, just completely antithetical to democracy, frankly. Well, shifting a little bit back to policy, and actually, although related, are the federal tax cuts that were approved late last year, which are now going into effect. Uh, the Congresswoman has been highlighting her support for those tax cuts, as well as her support for reducing federal regulations. What is your position on the tax cuts? How do you think they would help, have helped or hurt? And if you're in Congress, I mean, some are saying that the Democrats might try to move to uh, reduce some of those or um, actually counter them again. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Well, Joe, I, I think um, 
you know, the real problem with the tax bill, which has been the only really substantial piece of legislation to move uh, since Donald Trump uh, became president, is that, you know, we pass these tax cuts, which really only benefit um, corporations and the very, very wealthiest Americans. We pass them on a credit card. Uh, it was a trillion dollar uh, credit card bill that we're going to end up leaving our kids with. And that, I think, is the real problem uh, with the Republican tax bill. Um, you know, I don't think that anybody who voted for that tax bill can really claim to be a fiscal conservative. Um, uh, look, I think that there are ways um, that we can uh, try and cut taxes um, that would have a better impact in terms of um, uh, keeping the economy moving. Um, and I also think that, you know, we do need tax reform in this country. I think we need serious tax reform, especially uh, when it comes to payroll taxes, to making sure that uh, Social Security and Medicare continue to be solvent. But this particular tax bill um, really only benefited a very small uh, group of Americans, and it did so on the backs of our kids. And I think that that's wrong. And, and I think that Frankly, um, the district uh, is the kind of district that agrees with that. I mean, people in the second district care about the future of their kids. They care about the kind of country that we are leaving our children with. Um, and something like this tax bill um, that might have made a few people very happy um, in the moment, but that will have very uh, negative effects long term on the fiscal health of our country, I think was a, uh, an irresponsible decision. Can you elaborate on the payroll tax issue? Yeah. Because it kind of goes hand in hand with making sure Medicare and Social Security are solvent. What would you do to, to change how that tax is applied? And I think we need to make clear to the listeners, when people talk about payroll taxes, they're talking about the Social Security tax and the Medicare tax. That's right. I mean, a lot of people may not realize that the way that we have payroll taxes structured in this country, um, somebody making $200,000 a year pays a much smaller percentage of their income as payroll taxes than somebody making $100,000 a year. Um, I don't think that that makes much sense. I think that we should raise uh, that cap where we change the percentage that the people pay uh, as payroll taxes and make sure that um, we're asking folks to do their part to keep Social Security and Medicare solvent. If I'm elected to Congress, I will protect Medicare and Social Security. Um, I think it's incredibly important that we have a representative in Congress who's committed to doing that. But I think that one way that we need to make sure that uh, those programs stay fiscally healthy is to make sure, um, you know, that we're asking folks that, that make $200,000 a year to pay uh, the same percent as folks that are making $100,000. So are you talking about increasing the percentage that people pay for Social Security and Medicare or raising the cap? on where it stops? That's right. That's right, Joe. So I, I'm just talking about raising the cap um, so that uh, you know more folks pay the same percentage. So I, I follow your Twitter a lot. And one of the things I think you've been outspoken about is how Ann Wagner didn't say anything after the Parkland shootings in Florida. And, I, and you've been endorsed by groups that want restrictions on firearms. Before we get into the politics of this, I kind of want some specifics because I'm a parent too, and I don't want to see school shootings, and I'm sure Republicans don't want to see school shootings. But a lot of the proposals that are brought in on both sides, from a practical standpoint, I question whether they're, they're going to work. For example, people say increase the background checks. Well, if somebody doesn't have a criminal record or they don't have any mental health history, that's not going to stop somebody from getting a gun and shooting up a school. Whereas, like, just letting people you know, get guns willy-nilly when they have a criminal record and have mental health issues is obviously problematic. So I'd, I'd like to hear specifics on this because I think this is a really important issue that often gets kind of glossed over in soundbites and partisan warfare. But what would you want to do to make things like Parkland not happen again? 
Well, I think you're exactly right, Jason, that these are not, um, you know, Democratic issues, Republican issues. I mean, the gun violence epidemic in this country is something that we should all care about. And I think when you look at the the numbers, uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats do care about these issues. I mean, the kind of things that I would like to see us do, the kind of steps I would like to see us take are things that are supported by 80, 90 percent of voters, things like universal background checks, things like keeping guns out of the hands of domestic violence abusers, things like uh, keeping guns out of the hands of people who are on the no-fly list. Um, Those things have incredibly broad popular support. But the only reason that we haven't seen movement on those issues, uh, as I see it, is, uh, again, and this goes back to the the issue that we were talking about earlier, uh, of money in politics. We have a a lobbying group, the National Rifle Association, um, that is incredibly powerful. Um, donates thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to many politicians, uh, including Ann Wagner. Um, And we then have uh, leaders who, frankly, are just unwilling um, to lead on this issue. And, and, you know, Congresswoman Wagner's silence on the the Parkland shooting, um, I think, does speak volumes. I mean, I think it was a deafening silence because, um, you know, this is someone whom we've elected to lead, to represent our interests, Um, As you say, you're a parent. There are parents all all over this district who are counting on Congresswoman Wagner um, to fight for um, their kids' safety, for solutions to this problem. Uh, But we have a congresswoman who won't even acknowledge it because of the thousands of dollars that she's taken from the NRA. Uh, Now, I want to be very clear. Um, There are not going to be easy fixes to this issue. Um, you know, you said, uh, you mentioned some of the groups who support I've earned. I, I assume you are referring maybe to Moms Demand Action. Yes, exactly. You know, that's a group, I, I don't think that the, the folks at Moms would describe themselves as people who, um, you know, want firearm firearms restrictions per se. I think they are a group of concerned citizens who believe that there can be reasonable um, restrictions, limitations on access to weapons while still respecting uh, the Second Amendment. And as somebody who grew up in southwest Missouri, somebody who has many family members, uh, you know, who own guns and and, uh, certainly had many friends growing up who owned uh, guns, I mean, I just don't think that there's any friction at all between a, a Second Amendment and some reasonable restrictions on gun ownership. But, but here's the here's the reality. When you go to places like St. Charles and Jefferson County, there are people that belong to the NRA or have heard this messaging for years, sure. and they don't want any gun restrictions at all. And they may hear what you said just now and think, you know, I don't agree with him at all on this. What 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 message are you conveying to those voters who have heard this messaging, believe in this messaging? and feel that any restriction is an affront to the Second Amendment. Well, Jason, I just think, you know, it it is a very, very small number of people who really believe that any kind of restriction whatsoever would be an an affront to the Second Amendment. I think that there is a lot of room uh, to protect the rights of gun owners in this country, but also to keep our kids safer. And so those are the kind of policies that I'm going to pursue. And again, uh, you know, it, it is an epidemic in this country. This is the only country where uh, we have this kind of an epidemic with gun violence. Um, And it's the the solutions are not going to come overnight, and it's not going to be a single policy um, that solves this issue for us. But we need to at least have policymakers that are committed uh, to taking first steps and to making a good faith effort to keep our kids safer. We don't have that uh, with representatives like Ann Wagner. Well, in September 2004, if I'm correct, was when the assault weapons ban ended. Um, would you be one of these uh, members of Congress who would push to reinstate the assault weapons ban or something similar? I mean, because 
some of the critics and groups like some of the ones who have supported you have contended that the elimination of assault weapons ban is a key reason why we've had these mass shootings. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, one problem that I have uh, when people talk about an assault weapons ban is that it's not completely clear what that term even means. I was just going to say that's a big source of controversy, but continue. Yeah, so I think we just have to be um, a little uh, careful and specific about what we're talking about. Um, but look, I mean, I have mentioned the things that I favor doing um, as soon as possible, the things that most Americans agree on. There such may be, as? Such as universal background checks, uh, taking people who are on the no-fly list, making sure that people who are on the no-fly list are not able uh, to uh, purchase firearms without uh, some restrictions or some checks, and uh, keeping guns out of the hands of folks con convicted of domestic violence abuse. Um, I think that there may be other things that we can do. Uh, I think we should take a look at, at uh, for example, limiting magazine capacity size. Yeah, that's what um, I was going to ask you. I, I think when you look at especially some of these mass shooting um, events, um, I believe that lives could be saved by limiting magazine capacity size. So there are other things that I think we can do. Um, you know, uh, I think we could take a look at um, putting limitations on certain types of weapons that are really weapons of war. But I think we have to be very specific about how we do that. And to me, a term like assault weapons, because it doesn't have a defined meaning, I would hesitate to to to, uh, to say that I support something that doesn't have a, a defined meaning. I want to talk about the issue that may be the, the difference between winning and losing, and that's President Donald Trump. It is no surprise that there's a lot of enthusiasm in the second district for your campaign, especially in places like Kirkwood, Webster Grove, South County, and maybe Maryland Heights, traditional Democratic areas, because of the president's actions. I think, uh, and, and temperament and leadership style. I think that the challenge that you had that Joe laid out is there could be people in the second congressional district that like what the president's doing. You probably have encountered those people. Some may even be Democrats. Yeah, West County. So I want to get your sense on what you think the president has done that is good, that's bad, and how you would exert yourself as a congressman to provide a check and a balance against the executive. Because, again, Brendan Kelly talked about it that on, on his show. I think that's going to be the defining issue of this campaign for a lot of people. So that's my question. Well, and, and Joe and Jason, I think I've said this to you before. You know, I mean, I think this is uh, a president who campaigned uh, and campaigned in Missouri as something very different uh, than what we're seeing right now in the White House. I mean, this was a president who sold himself to Missourians as a populist, somebody who cared about working people. Um, and I think instead uh, we've seen an administration, a president that has uh, prioritized um, you know, making sure that incredibly uh, wealthy people continue to do well, um, but has just suffered, suffered, I think, sort of scandal after scandal, and people are embarrassed. And, you know, we desperately need, in my view, a return to decency and stability in politics, a, a return uh, to process um, and to a sense of normalcy. How, what's been the impact of his tariffs in the second district as you've traveled, or is it having much of an impact? That's a great question. Well, I, I think that um, especially on the edges of the district, um, you know, that there's an impact certainly on um, Missouri. I, I think there's a big uh, impact. Because I'm not tariffs. sure how much manufacturing is in the second congressional district. I think there's actually quite a bit, especially yeah, once you get into small, St. Charles. Yeah, yeah and, a, lot and, of, and, a lot of small and, small and elsewhere. But but continue. You know, I, I think the 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 problem with the president's um, trade policy 
uh, is the problem that has frankly been the hallmark of this administration in so many ways, that we have seen a president with no real plan who seems to be making decisions off the cuff, uh, who makes major policy announcements by tweet, um, and and isn't uh, operating uh, the sort of professional administration that has a, a thought-out uh, logical strategy for how to advance the interests of Americans and of Missourians. And, um, you know, I think that's true of his trade policy. I think that that's true of his foreign policy. So uh, as a member of Congress, uh, what I will do is to, as you said, Jason, be a real check and a balance on this president. Um, that is a contrast with this congresswoman. You know, this is a congresswoman who votes with the president 96, 97 percent of the time. Um, and, you know, she was asked in a radio interview what grade she'd give him on his first year in office. She said an A+. Plus. I think that that's laughable. And I think most people in the district think that that's laughable. Um, you know, we deserve much better out of Washington. This was a president who said he was going uh, to drain the swamp. Um, and instead, uh, we see that Washington is worse than ever. So we need real accountability. Um, and if the Republicans that can control Congress now are not willing to be that check and balance, um, then I am uh, going to Washington to try to provide that. Here's another fun question that Brendan Kelly has talked about a lot, and that's the future leader of your party. I think if you end up winning your race, I think it's a sign that the Democrats have definitely taken over the House. I think the bar is not super high, but you will have to decide whether you're going to vote for Nancy Pelosi to be speaker. Brendan Kelly has run ads saying, I will not vote for her. I'd be interested to see if you're going to take a similar tack to, to Mr. Kelly if both of you win. Well, what I will say um, is that, you know, I am very proud to be a millennial running for Congress. And part of the reason that I'm running for Congress is because I think it is time to have new voices uh, at the table uh, and a new generation of leadership. And I think that that um, includes uh, the people who are leading the party. But uh, let me just say that, um, you know, we don't know who the candidates for speaker um, will be, would be. And I think I would be uh, remiss um, to make any kind of commitment like that without knowing uh, what the options will be. But I am running for Congress to give people in this district a voice in Washington um, to uh, push forward an agenda uh, when it comes to health care, when it comes to helping uh, people pay for their education, uh, when it comes to issues that affect real people here in this district. And I will vote uh, for uh, whoever um, I think is in the best position to help deliver results for the people of the second district to be Speaker of the House if I'm elected to Congress. A couple more questions before we let you go. Um, I think that uh, reproductive rights and abortion are going to become a very big issue, especially if Brett Kavanaugh gets confirmed. And I think that the Congress, our state legislatures get more, uh, you know, try to chip away at Roe versus Wade. I think I know your position on that, but I'd be interested to hear how, how you're going to tackle that issue in Congress, because I could see it becoming a lot more prominent, um, even if the Democrats take over the House. What's your, what's your, what, what, what's your opinion on abortion rights? Well, um, you know, I understand that uh, it's a very difficult issue for some folks. I, I happen to be a person of faith, um, and I understand that some folks uh, have very uh, strong feelings on the issue um, that are might be rooted uh, in their faith beliefs. Um, uh, you know, for me, 
uh, I simply don't believe that it is a government's right uh, to dictate to a woman um, what she can or can't do with her body. Um, and, and I don't believe um, that uh, government should be uh, getting in the way of women making their own health care decisions. Um, so th that's where I am on the issue. Um, and, you know, I think that you're right. Um, we could be looking at uh, a very different landscape uh, based on uh, what uh, the makeup of the Supreme Court is on this issue. But I think that it is um, important that we have someone in Congress um, who will protect the rights of women, uh, who will make sure that the rights of women are not stripped away. Um, you know, we have a congresswoman right now who some people may not know, but is really, in my view, um, fairly extreme on the issue. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that the second district uh, is a district where um, most people believe that um, women um, should be able to make their own decisions on that issue. So my final question for you, if you were to win this race, what message do you think it would send that, you know, Todd Aiken's former district, a district that hasn't gone Democratic in almost 30 years, has managed to flip to blue? I think it would make national news, obviously. But in your in your opinion, what do you think would be the overall message if you were to defeat Congresswoman Wagner to the second congressional district into the country? I think the message would be that people are tired of politics as usual. They are tired of politicians that are bought and sold by special interests, and they are ready for representatives who are willing to work hard to show up and to be true public servants by being present uh, in their district. And I, I can't imagine uh, a better message that could come out of November. That's very succinct, and we are out of time. But thank you so much for coming in today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure for, to be here. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how could people find out more about you either on social media or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Sure. We're pretty easy to find on every platform. Uh, on Twitter, it's Court, V-O-C-O-R-T-V-O, -O -O, uh, Facebook, Court Van Ostrom for Congress. Um, I'm told that we also have an Instagram account, so you can find us there, too. Do you have a MySpace account? <laughs> uh, not since uh, 2007 or something like that, Jason. No, no, nobody has a MySpace <laughs> account. Until next time, so long. <laughs>